Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Happy New Year, everyone. This is episode 57 of The Leadership Window. It's our first episode of 2022. And uh, I think I've said in previous podcasts that uh, the new year is my favorite time of year. New Year's Day actually is my favorite day of the year. I love mornings because they're the beginning of a day. I love Mondays. They're the beginning of a week. I love New Year's Day. It's the beginning of a new year. And uh, I wish you all the best in this coming new year. Let's be excited about 2022. We've had a rough couple of years in a lot of ways. Let's, um, let's make this one amazing. Um, I want to pause real quickly and let you know that you might have noticed a little change in our little introduction and the voice that introduces me. And most, I don't think most podcasters talk about their, um, their intro voice or whatever, but I'm going to because for the first oh, 50 something episodes, I used an artificial intelligence voice. Her name is Rosie and she did a pretty good job, but you know, she sounded a little artificial, you know, she sounded like Siri or something. And I, I kind of didn't want that anymore. And, um, so my wife said, um, you know, you forget that I have my, my first cousin is like a voice pro. And I'm like, oh yeah, Selena, Selena, the voice. In fact, Selena, the voice.com is her website. And I want to promote her because she did uh, the latest version of my intro for me. And I just, I love her voice. And if you go to her website and look at all her demos of the things that she does, she is extremely versatile. She has that great radio advertising voice. If you want it, she has that technical manual reader if you want it uh she really is talented and um it's selena the voice selena is s-e-l-i-n-a selena the voice.com if you have any needs for a video in your organization or you have a podcast or an advertisement or anything that you need a really good quality voice who can listen to what you need and deliver it like snap um she is amazing and her name is selena frizzell and uh, so thanks, Cousin Selena, for the new introduction. And I, I hope um, if people have a need, they'll go check that out. I also want to um, quickly say that we are thrilled that our podcast has moved up from number nine to number seven now on Feedspot. Feedspot, if you don't know, is the Internet's largest human curated database of bloggers and podcasts. And they have all kinds of interesting algorithms they use to rank podcasts by genre and and or sector or industry or whatever. And so on nonprofit leadership, they have a top 20 list. I encourage you to go check it out. And you can get to the actual nonprofit list on our podcast page. Just go to our website, jinxperspective.com, click on podcast. You'll see a link for the feed past, uh, feed cat, Hello, feed spot top 20 list. And we debuted about a year ago at number nine on that list. And we've now moved to number seven. I want to encourage you to go there though, because there's a, a lot of really other great podcasts on there. Our, my good friend, Greg Nielsen, uh, who's been on this program, uh, does a lot on the area of board governance and engagement. He is in this list. Joan Gary, a lot of people in the uh, nonprofit sector know who Joan Gary is. 
she's in that list. So go check that out. But thank you all the listeners for um, spreading it, sharing it, listening to it and, and helping us keep it out there. Our guests today, you heard the S at the end. We have two guests today. I love this are Michael and Audrey Sahoda. Michael is a keynote speaker, organizational consultant, author, trainer, about a million other things, uh, not the least of which is he is the co-founder and CEO of Shift 314 Incorporated. And Audrey, in case you're wondering, is Michael's wife, and she is the CMO. And I'm not going to tell you yet what CMO means, but it's not chief marketing officer. So hang tight on that one. But she also is an author. She is a curriculum designer for the organization, and she is the other co-founder of Shift 314. Their new book released, I think, just in uh, just this past August is Leading Beyond Change. And I'm not finished with it, but I have read a good bit of it. And I can tell you, this is the real deal. Like these are, the, this is the real stuff. This isn't, you know, some self-published vanity book. This is, um, uh, this is legitimate, like really, really, really cool stuff. I, I think that the theories that we're going to talk about, you will see exactly what we mean, but get the book. I don't do that lightly. I don't recommend books just, you know, just because a podcast guest wrote them. This one, you need to read it. Uh, if you're in any kind of leadership organization or leadership role in an organization that is wanting to do more than what you're doing now, wanting to get better than you are now, read this book, Leading Beyond Changed. Uh, Michael, Audrey, thank you. Welcome. And I'm just going to start by saying, tell us what I missed in this introduction that you want to share about yourselves and your work. Thanks for coming on. That was a pretty awesome introduction. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you for your, your, your warm words and support. It's actually very, very meaningful. Um, especially from someone, so, you know, it, um, really, really at your status, your capability, your, your, uh, what you bring to the table. So, so really just very humbled by that. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. How would you introduce yourselves? So what's the, what's the real important stuff? You know, I, we give, you know, they're this and they're that, but tell us something about yourself that, uh, is a little, you know, a little deeper, maybe a little bit more personal. How did you get to this point? Who's the organization? Who are you? You want to start? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, okay. So for me, it's it's brilliant, genius, jerk, antisocial engineer okay. turns inspirational leader who helps other people tap into their brilliance and potential and genius and move an organizational system from death, decay, stagnation to the extraordinary. Well, I'm glad you, you, you used the word turned there. <laughs> um, was it, was it Netflix that had the rule? No brilliant jerks. I think that there was some big company. I think it was Netflix that that was a rule. No brilliant jerks. So, <laughs> so oh, no, no, I think that was, uh, that was actually, um, that was in the book, uh, building a deliberately developmental organization by Keegan Leahy. Okay. And the, the company there was, uh, I can't remember the name, but it was this company where the two co-CEOs moved to become a coaching role. And they actually fired all their Intel really brilliant engineers that were jerks and hired young people who were just open to grow and evolve. Okay. Uh, the name name's escaping me right now. Oh, that's good. That's well, the, that's I, I, I think maybe Netflix like adopted it because I, I know I, okay. I know I associated it with them somewhere, but it's good to know where the, where the origin of that is. So that's awesome. Audrey, what about you? How would you introduce yourself? Hmm. 
I think I think I would introduce myself as somebody that's deeply passionate about liberating humanity from pain and suffering. And what I see is that our lifestyle, our society, um, just the way we're interacting with each other is um, is kind of damaging and harmful. Mm. And so I'd like to see something very different happening Um, for myself personally. It's just a personal quest that I've had for a really long time. And I've integrated it into um, the career, my life purpose, or what I do in the world. So um, I, I, I have a very strange and weird background um, that you previously mentioned with my CMO title. Um, so I come from a place of really working with people and going deep into transformation, both on a physical level, psychological level. So... That's that's me in a nutshell. So go ahead and tell Michael's, us. What, oh, go ahead. Go ahead and tell us what CMO is in your case. CMO. Well, we're in the agile space and in the agile space, people like to give themselves their own roles and positions mm. like their own titles. Yeah. So my title is chief metaphysical officer. So what does that really mean? Um, you know, in a way. Um, metaphysics is a, is a kind of a thing, but, um, it's a, it's more of a spiritual esoteric thing, um, where what I see it as, um, in our work, we come from a place of not only looking at what is physically going on in an organization or with people or on teams, but we're also, you know, processes and structures. We're also looking at what's the hidden thing that's happening? Mm. You know, how do we really listen to a system? And when we listen to a system, what do we hear? And we can find the reality of what's going on in an organization when we really stop and listen. So we talk about metaphysical uh, work, and it's really going past the metaphysical down to a deeper meta layer. And that's where I come in. That's my specialty is I I can really feel into an organization. I can feel into a team. I can feel into a person. I can read an email and know what's going on. And we all have this capability. And when we start to utilize it in our work, um, we we can connect deeper into what's happening around us, the environment and people, Mm. and really pull out the brilliance or the success or unlock uh, the the situation or the organization where it really is stuck. Mm. Um, I have some emails I think you need to read and interpret for me. <laughs> you know, tone is so difficult to, to pick up in, in email. And you do have to, there does have to be this perception. And I think also, obviously, a big part of what you're talking about is empathy and emotional intelligence, which is what we talk about a lot in our work. Um, I, I'm learning more about how metaphysics, and I'm, I don't know much about it at all, but what I'm learning is it is not the, like, wacky mystical thing that everybody often associate. It's, it's just a real, it's, it's soul, it's emotion, it's connection. It's, it actually exists. It's a space that exists. And, um, so I love that, uh, chief metaphysical officer. I think that's amazing. You said a term that really like hit me cool. Um, listening to systems, 
I don't know that we normally yeah. think about listening to systems. We look at frameworks and we analyze systems and we look at models and we build them. But do we listen to the system as it's operating right now? What do we hear when we do that? I just really love that. There was a, um, a parable. Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this, but I don't I don't remember if it was a Native American tribe that sends you know, they're, they're, they're young boys out into the wilderness to become men. And they, they expect them to go and listen for a year and tell me what you hear. And the boy comes back the first year and he says, well, I heard birds chirping. I heard water running. I heard leaves rustling. I heard owls hooting. I heard, you know, wind blowing. And the father says, you're not listening. (laughs) go back, spend another year, come back and tell me. And the long story short, when he comes back, he says, I I heard new beginnings. I heard excitement. I Mm -hmm. heard fear. I heard. And so he said, now you're becoming a man. You're actually listening to things. And that's what that made me think of that. When you said listening to systems is what are we really hearing? Not just, Oh, you know, we, we need to change this, this model because the communication's breaking down. Are we hearing fear? Are we hearing confusion? Are we hearing, excitement you know i love that i love that term i'd love to hear hear more about it um exactly so let's yeah so uh, go ahead michael oh i i could just just kind of take your that point mm-hmm. and, and just elaborate a little bit it's like really we're teaching people to listen to teaching to see but to do that there's a deconditioning process we've been conditioned since birth to focus on certain things and we've become like our frequency band that we can listen to is very, very narrow. So we're about opening up that band so we can get full channel information for exactly what's going happening around us. So we know what reality is. Mm. So we actually know how to solve the real problems. So we're opening up people's ability to see the consequences, the damaging behaviors that they have in their choices for the organizational system and the choices for their leadership to kind of wake up and see what's really going on. About a month ago, the guest on the show was uh, Sophie McLean, who's a, a wisdom teacher, and her term that she uses is disentangling our egos. And and she talks about that ego that's developed at like one in two years of age and how we, the deprogramming, the, you know, disentangling, the reconditioning, all of that. It's so true. And it seems to have been a theme lately on the, it, I, I guess I'm just, it's sort of, I'm, maybe I'm attracting it and, and learning more about that, but I think it's amazing. Um, I, so I have a number of curiosities. Uh, first of all, um, I think everyone listening would be curious about shift 314 and what that means. Why is that the name of the company? And, uh, you know, give us, give us the relevance behind that. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So 314. So everyone's actually heard this number. It's actually burned into our memories. Uh, it, it's a short form for 3.141519. Everyone's heard of pi. Yeah. Pi in mathematics, everyone's studied it and seen the symbol and so on. It's a symbol for the timeless universal principles of mathematics. Now, why we chose that for our organization is we're speaking to the timeless universal principles from human beings, how they function, this egoic drive that's underneath everything, the fear that's underneath everything, and how to understand not just the human dimension, but what it means when we're in a collective, what the, the principles of that really um, shape organizational function, either for higher performance, lower performance, workplaces of joy and spirit and engagement, and people stepping up into responsibility or something else that's quite 
less uh, less engaging and less enticing. Well, we say we use the universal principles to um, we we weave in universal principles into our teachings. So um, when people come to our courses, a lot of times they'll say, "Oh, you know, you're teaching you teach this is this is spiritual work," or you know, "I I learned this in in you know in." through whatever practice I have, a spiritual practice or um, some sort of meditation practice. And we're like, yes, you're supposed to, those, those concepts and those principles and those teachings, we're supposed to weave them into our daily existence and how we live as human beings. So why would you stop, you know, your practice, whether you, you know, you have some, uh, a religious practice or a spiritual practice that you do like even once a day, or you go once a week or something like that. Why wouldn't you weave it into your, to your daily life? Mm. Okay. So here's the thing for me and what so far, everything both of you have said just like affirms where, where I'm, what I'm feeling and hearing in your book and in your work. And that is, it's about the people, the people, the people, the humans, it's all humans. Um, even when you're listening to systems, you're listening to humans and it's, you're listening to the people. Um, I love the concept of employee first, for example, in your, in your work, you know, we always talk about, you know, put the customer first and, and donor centricity. That's the term in the nonprofit sector that I work in. Um, you know, our stakeholders come first, whatever, even maybe our clients, uh, if you're a nonprofit and you're serving the homeless or the hungry or the victims of domestic violence, those are first And your concept. And, and it's, this isn't, brand new, but you really do hit on it in a new way is that if you start with your employees and get that right and treat them right and develop them and uh, listen to them and grow them and invest in them, all that other stuff will happen exponentially. I mean, they'll, they'll be unstoppable. So I love that. And I love that what you're doing is focusing on that. You know, Audrey, you talked about, you know, the kind of what you're talking about when you introduce yourself is about people and humans and, and all of that, but you're mm -hmm. weaving it right into organizational leadership because it turns out we're people. <laughs> so I, I love the inner in, integration and we forget it because we're building strategies and models and what was it? Drucker's always attributed with saying, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, the, the, um, the idea that, Hey, it's all, all, all about the people. I, I just, I can't, who can argue with that? How did you come to that though? How oh. did you, how did you come to that sort of framing so hard? Cause you, you hit it hard in the book. How did you come to that? Well, um, so we all have a nervous system as human beings, we all have adaptations to our nervous systems. And my adaptations that I got through my life path were that I was a really an asshole, right? I was brilliant. I wanted to help people. I had a good heart, but all my conditioning, behavior patterns, emotional charges, disruption really just caused me to have this like scorched trail in my professional career as a consultant and so on. And I think my wake up moment was, well, you can, and this was reading Brene Brown's first book, which is in my opinion, her best. Uh, I thought it was me just, but, 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 uh, but it isn't. And it was this phrase, 
you can only be kind to others to the extent that you can be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this really, I, I, I really took this in. I stopped. I was on a plane. I just cried and cried and cried. And uh, I mean, I got three kids. You know, my goal is to help make people's lives better at work. And, you know, I got this, I had the time that this incredibly harsh internal critic, right? Everyone knows what I'm talking about this in credit critic that shits in your sits on your shoulder and, and says all these negative things. And you should have done this better. And why did you do that? And, right, and all this kind of negative self-talk that, that exists either, uh, you know, as part of our internal diet. And I realized, well, wait a second, that's how kind I am to myself. And that's, it, that's the limit for how I can support anybody else around me. And that's what really triggered me to, to, to change how I show up. And so that, that's really what we're saying is like, is really was going to, to help leaders understand, like, did you notice how you're really not that kind to people around you? Did you notice that you're actually oppressing people that you have good intentions, but what you're doing is actually incredibly damaging. Like it's not your fault. You're innocent because you've been told to do this in MBA school. You've been modeled this by every single other adult you've experienced in your life, except for maybe a few small, you know, exceptional leaders you've seen, but you've been conditioned to do this. So you're innocent. It's not your fault, but you're causing so much damage. The habit of command and control. Deeply wired command. So that's how, that's kind of how I got there is like, you know, I just, I just wanted to stop causing damage for myself. And so I learned like crazy. How can I, how can I function better? How can I stop causing this damage that's so ingrained to all of us in our, in our society. Some of us are better off and some of us, are, but we're all on our journey of, of deconditioning these destructive behaviors. And it's like, what I discovered along the way is that, wait, these patterns I'm using for myself, other people can really benefit from them. And then I met Audrey and we had the same life purpose of helping really create a change in how people show up, how organizations function, how society functions. And so it's just this very natural and this is, I think, the deeper part. You said this deep connection with people. It's about ourselves. It's about our, working on our inner dimension mm-hmm. of ourselves as human beings, as well as this external dimension of our organizational system to understand those are deeply interlinked. We can't achieve in the outer world without creating a shift in the inner world. Mm. Right, because it's a transmission. So once you've have has had an inner transformation. We talk about theory Y and theory X Mm -hmm. and theory X is if, if you really think about it, how often are you demotivated, frustrated, disappointed, disengaged, angry, angry. Um, you know, you just have to step outside of your, probably your bedroom door and that, and all of that hits you that theory X um, behavior really wreaks havoc on creating success in your life. And, and once you, you dive into your own inner world and you start cleaning that up and you start showing up theory, why we call theory, why plus plus you're able to uplift all the people around you. And as a leader, when you have a team and everybody's showing up theory, why plus plus how productive are you going to be? Everybody's engaged and motivated and excited and working together and taking on projects, you know, on their own and, and just really uplifting the whole entire organization. The, you know, the high, the level of high performance in that, in that space is, is, you know, exponential. And even, even we talk, we talk a lot about having psychological safety, 
we look at it the same way. When you have uh, inner psychological safety and you're a leader, you have this calm presence and you're really grounded. You, you um, exude that, you know, that's a transmission that you bring to your people on the floor, in the field, you know, the way you present in, in a meeting, the way you're interacting with the, uh, the, the people that you work with, and you're, also, you're giving them the ability to have their own psychological safety. And then also the processes and the structures are, are changing and shifting because of the way you're showing up as a leader. So you're showing up theory Y plus plus, you're engaged, you're motivated, you're um, inspiring and inviting others to, to, to be on this journey with you. You know, it's contagious. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I encourage um, organizational leaders to do some research on these theories because they're real. Look, look up theory X and theory Y. My observation in kind of looking at all that is that the flip side of it is from the leader's perspective of theory X and theory Y, which basically says whatever I assume of my people, X or Y is what I'm going to get. And so there's you're this creating you're, it, you're creating it. Your environment yeah. is exactly what you've created. And, um, so there's a, there, you know, theory X and theory Y kind of move in both directions and it's chicken and egg, right? Like which is creating which and the, the idea, for example, behind transactional leadership versus transformational leadership, transactional being more management. You know, I, I tell you what to do. I give you the tools, you do it. We, I pay you, we, you know, you're probably going to create more, a little more of a theory X environment. Whereas if the transformational leadership is there where I'm investing in the people and, and connecting their internal motivation to the work that needs to be done, I'm going to transform the organization. And that, that leads me, I think, to want to ask you now about the big, the big term, the big principle of the book, which is evolutionary leadership talk about that. Um, what does that term mean? It's the, it's the framework, I think, for the book and the work that you're doing. How is it different maybe from some of the other leadership theories? How do you define it? Yeah. So let's just talk the term transformational. Let's just start with that term. Forget, forget the transformational leader, but transformational. Where are we talking about transformation? Externally to ourselves around us or internally to ourselves? Mm. Oh, oh, wait a second. Um, there's a saying, you can't change anyone else. You can only change yourself. So when you take that and you understand, well, wh where do I want to apply the transformation to create the result? It's actually on me. And that's actually the definition of evolutionary leadership. Mm. Evolutionary leadership, and I'll give you the definition. Our is definition. Th our definition. Mm. There's, people have used this term for a while. It's a beautiful term, but we've created our own definition that we think captures the true essence, the, the underlying principle that changes everything. Evolutionary leadership is the choice to evolve oneself and develop the capabilities to evolve one's organizational system. So the key word is the word choice, that I am choosing to evolve myself. So I'm focusing that transformational desire inside where I have the most control where I have the most influence, where I have the most ability to create a shift. And I'm committed to that, not just evolving myself, but learning how I can not just evolve myself, but help others on the journey, which is a commitment to my own evolution still. 
Mm. Other people coming on the journey and my systems evolving will just be a reflection of my own journey. It's a fundamental shift in, in our perspective. It's profound. Can I ask you to give me the definition again? The choice to evolve oneself obviously is the primary tenet of it, but I want to catch the last part of that too, because it, yeah. ma it made me think of something. Just give it to us again. Yeah. And so the choice to evolve myself and develop the capabilities to evolve an organizational system, right? We're all involved in organizational systems, our families, our volunteer groups, our workplaces, but we need the doing and the being. This is the part that people often miss. It's not just an inner shift and woo woo, kumbaya, blah, blah, blah. It's actually, we need the practical models, principles, maps, tools to orient ourselves, And that's, that's what we share, right? This with this larger part of evolution leadership, this larger thing, which you see behind me here in the screen on our side, the, 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 the shift 314 evolutionary leadership framework. There's actually a framework that encompasses this, you know, 314 element, these universal principles of wait a second, when I do this, it doesn't turn out well. And when I do this, it turns out much better. Mm. Love the word choice. Um, I think that's incredible. And I also like the, the phrase developing the capabilities. So, but you, and to be clear, you're talking about developing your own capabilities, but also helping to develop others capabilities in the system. Well, is so it, here's the both? deal. No, 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 no. The choice, the, the choice of an evolutionary is simply to evolve oneself and develop the capability for yourself, for oneself. Okay. Okay. Right. There's no, so when we do that, do you think we focus on what's most important as an outward manifestation? Actually, Audrey wants to say more. No, go ahead. Yeah, the outward manifestation of our shift in our being and our state of consciousness, our state of evolution, our inner psychological safety, and so on, we're going to walk as an acting transmission of a different way of functioning and automatically impact everyone else around us. When we learn a new way of doing, like the skills to evolve an organizational system, every move counts. We're no longer making mistakes with every email, every interaction, every meeting. Every Instead of taking people down, we're taking people up mm -hmm. with every moment. And mm -hmm. so it's all fully about our winning our game, winning our game. Good. Right. And the, and, and, and developing leaders around you and shifting or evolving the organizational systems becomes effortless. Having theory, why people motivated, responsible, engaged is an epiphenomenon of your own evolution, your own inner state. That's my favorite word. Epiphenomenon. Epi Right. But, so that's why you're saying people have been really well-intentioned, but focusing in the wrong area, like almost probably every single person listening to this wants to make things better, but have been putting enormous energy in areas that have very low ROI relative to their own evolution. Because people would rather focus on changing others mm -hmm. and changing everything else around them mm -hmm. instead of shifting their own self. Because when you, when you turn inward it becomes a little painful. It becomes, it becomes difficult to look at or uncomfortable. And so we're always seeking pleasure. So it's easier to focus our, our attention, blame, focus responsibility outwards instead of really going inward and saying, okay, how am I showing up? Where am I creating the damage? How, how can my perception or my behaviors shift and change to create a reality that I want 
to be successful. That completely resonates. It's super affirming. So in our coaching training, it's drilled into us that you can't coach who's not in the room. So this isn't about, you know, coaching an executive who's got a problem employee and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to change this problem employee. And the question that I have found myself asking over and over and over is let's talk about your role in this. Let's talk about your role in this. And when they focus back to themselves and how they're approaching this and how they're showing up, it, it is, it's eye opening for them. Um, so I would, I would say back to my, back to the idea of, of, um, helping others develop the capabilities. I think what I heard you say, correct me if I got this wrong. I think what I heard you say is the way to help others develop their own capabilities is to model it and create an environment that where they're engaged, their self-determination is they they'll develop their own capabilities because they now want to, and they see the value of it. Did I, you didn't say all that, but that's kind of yeah, how I, I perceive I, what I, you're it's very saying. clear. There's, there's a, there's a pattern in the book that modeling trumps coaching. Mm. Coaching is very valuable. Yeah. It has its place. It's incredibly useful, mm. but modeling trumps it. Like it, that, that's a much more powerful move rather yeah. than trying to, because we're, we're in a coaching moment. We're saying somebody is, is, is needing help. Is, 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 and it's a really beautiful thing. But it's about shifting to a, a completely different mindset because coaching is still outward focused. How do I coach and help this person? It's an outward focused activity versus how do I show up better? How do I make a better decision? How And, and it's kind of like that coaching moment you talked about is how do we help everyone become their own self-aware coach? Mm. Good. So that every moment they're asking themselves, wait, wait a second, what's my role in this situation? And when all the leaders around in your organization are doing that, there's everyone's going to be start becoming very aware of what the real challenges are, the real human to human challenges, like these, what we call leadership edges, these places mm -hmm. where our adaptations and our nervous systems are conditioning due to how we grew up and so on are getting in the way of us creating the success that we want for ourselves and everyone else around us. Um, I know you, um, would imagine, you know, who Marshall Goldsmith is. Most of our listeners know who Marshall Goldsmith is, you know, world renowned executive coach and author of books like, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And, uh, what kind of one of the pioneers of executive coaching at, at the center for creative leadership, um, in North Carolina. And, uh, he has a great little segment that he does on employee engagement and how we're measuring it. And he says, we're measuring it all wrong. You know, we do these employee satisfaction surveys, you know, does your, does your supervisor recognize you? Do you get, you know, what kind of attention do you get for how's your communication, you know, from the top management? And he says, those are all the wrong questions. The questions on employee engagement are about I, did I do my best to help advance my relationship with my supervisor? Did I bring my best today to help my, my people succeed? Did I do my, and he goes, and it, you know, it's, we, it's easy to do a survey and rate how everybody else is leading the organization, but what, back to what's, what's my role. So I, I love that. Let, let me, let me, let me jump in. So first of all, that's brilliant. Cause what he's talking about is do people have personal responsibility, but that's what yeah. you're talking about. If you're measuring employees. Right. And I think, and this is in our book, um, but it's actually, it's actually like an incredibly important insight that has been completely lost in industry, which is that Gallup, which is what we call employee engagement, these Gallup 12 questions were based on two years of research, an incredibly broad research program of what measures when we see them, what characteristics when we see them being true lead to high performance. So they're actually like the gold standard of what is high performance. But the problem is they got the wrong title. They're not actually employee engagement. <clears throat> They're actually what we call 
leadership scorecard. Mm. They're actually, and if you think about it, it's now, oh, this is our leadership scorecard. We don't have an engagement problem. We have a leadership problem creating a healthy ecosystem where people are going to thrive. And when you flip it around, suddenly you're going, oh, well, we're not going to get the employees to try to fix the problem because it's not them. They're just a symptom of our uh, leadership system where people are addicted to the command and control habit. They lack humility. They don't look after the people well. They don't have those skills. They don't have that inner psychological safety to give that to our people. And it's our leadership system that needs health, repair, restoration. Wow, we've got a lot of work to do as leaders. With great (laughs) power comes great responsibility. Mm. Mm. Uncle Ben. Yeah. So that that's actually what it means. So we don't have a worldwide employee epide- engagement epidemic. I mean, that's the, the shallow understanding, but the true understanding is we have a worldwide leadership pandemic of command and control behavior. That's actually the truth of people who are well-intentioned, but don't realize that they're addicted to this command and control habit, that they're ongoingly uh, disengaging people. Like it, it's just... That's well, really what's going on. You know, and I, that's tough for a leader to swallow, right? Because they're like, wait, but I'm pretty good. It's like, well, but you may be pretty good. But the question is, what is your rate of evolution to better? Because you are the limit. And this is the key point is that as a leader, we are the limit of our system, our state of evolution. And this is the thing is like, there's all these incredibly high performance companies in the world. And when, we, when we've studied this, we've done this kind of meta study, and they all have very evolved leaders who are humble who are so curious, who create a space for the people. They have such big hearts. But how do you and I get there? Because we're not that. And when we start to be honest about that, of how do I grow to become that and commit myself to my evolutionary journey, we unlock stage after stage of higher success and unlock more and more people around us, unlock more and more brilliance. Hmm. Oh, this is, this is rich. Now, um, and now is when I'm wishing I had one of those podcasts that went three or four hours, but I don't. So, um, I've got a, uh, I've got a few more things I'd like to touch on. I'd like to talk about this idea of evolution rate that you just brought up. Um, I'd like to talk about culture, um, because that was my favorite part of the book and a few other things. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and recognize our podcast sponsor, Leadership Systems Incorporated. And uh, let's hear real quickly from Michael Wallace at LSI about their partnership with the Leadership Window. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I want to say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years, and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com jinx, J-I-N-K-S, for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Michael and Dr. Jim Smith and Taylor and all the folks at LSI for your partnership and the work that you do. I do want to say that that Jinx page is not always does not always have the current or upcoming dates. Um, if it's out of date and if, if you see a training program that's already passed, please know this, that those trainings are repeated. I think the next uh, leadership coaching practicum that they have is in mid to late January. So uh, always check with them on what's available. I got to give our listeners a little glimpse into Michael and Audrey here for a second that 
um, I've noticed that I wouldn't normally notice, but you just got to know that in our intro music and in the music that you just heard on, on Michael's little spot, uh, you can't see them, but I, we're, we're doing this on zoom and I can see Michael and Audrey and they're literally dancing to the, to the sponsorship music and to the intro music, like they're dancing and smiling and having a blast. I just think that gives us a little bit of glimpse into who they are and the people side and, and clearly loving what they do. So, uh, sorry for, uh, you know, calling you out on that, but I, I just, no, 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 that, that was cool. That, that's totally, totally good. <laughs> and I just want to say that, um, you know, you're, you're actually a great spokesperson for that program because the way you're showing up, your curiosity, your humility, mm. um, it's just really, really beautiful. Uh, so, so yeah. Wow. So thank you. There's a good connection there. Thank you. Well, you know, I mean, we're loving this stuff and we know how important it is. And it's great when you can, when you can, it's great to have your own eyes opened about things, put it that way. I mean, I get a lot of fulfillment about opening someone else's eyes and feel or feeling like I had a role in it anyway. Like, Oh wow, that's cool. But when you get it, when you're the one who gets the, Oh wow, that's cool. That is super fulfilling. And that's, I get that all the time. So I love it. I love the work. Um, you mentioned the term a minute ago, Michael, or you, you use the word rate as it, as it relates to evolution. And this is a, this is a real uh, point of interest for me and has been for years, this rate. When you say evolution, I think there's a connotation that it's a long process. I don't know that it necessarily is, but I think longer term when I think evolve rather than, um, you know, um, change or transform or even even, even shift. When I think shift, sometimes I think more quickly. I think about shifting a car. I think about, you know, shifting gears. I don't think about the shift in the, in the, you know, the fault line or something, you know, there's this gradual shift. I'm interested in, um, your perspective, you, you and Audrey on, um, evolution and it's, and it's rate. And is it, is there a, is there sort of a rate that, is implied here or, or what? Yeah. So just, first of all, we want quick fixes and we think we're working with machines. People are not machines. People are messy. So really we're just saying like, could you please just wake up and look at what is the rate of evolution of the people in your organization Mm. personally at a personal evolution level? And what is your rate of evolution as a leader? Right. We say the word transformation is scary. Yeah. Scares the heck out of people because everyone is living, everyone is growing, everyone's evolving at their own rate. So when we stop trying to force people, force systems to grow at a rate faster than their natural rate, we create a lot of damage. That's the command and control addiction we've been talking about, right? That's Mm. we are so conditioned. We don't need people don't even know their transformation program is failing from the word. It's a transformation program Wow! because it creates psychological fear. And it's trying to cause people to grow at a faster rate than they're comfortable with. So I think like, you're right. And even if it's not fear, it's disbelief. Like I, that's too daunting. Like it's, it's yeah. too much for me. I can't, I can't get my head around transforming this. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So instead when we talk about, well, let's just pay attention to what are people's rate of evolution and that'll collectively determine the rate of evolution of our organizational system. Mm-hmm. And again, this is any fractal, any team, any department, any organization, I mean, it, it, there's different rates of, of evolution happening. But when we start to understand that, well, how do we increase the rate of evolution? So that's very different. Like a lot of people are consulting, how do we get projects delivered? How do we get this done? We're talking about something different. How, yeah, do, how do we scale? How do we scale mm, excellence that's a big word with in, yeah. people? Scale. scale excellence with people. 
Well, the answer is, well, we scale our people. We help our people evolve, which means we have to learn what is the rate of evolution of our people now and how do we give our people, and this is what we're focused on at Shift314, evolutionary capabilities. How do we give people the evolutionary capabilities? Because if people get 1% better every day, over time, we're going to get to an amazing pace. People get 2% better every day. Over time, we're going to get to that better place even faster. So stop trying to focus on the outcome we're trying to create. Let's focus on the, this is why we call it the laws of organizational dynamics, these universal principles, because we're taking people back to what is the cause? What do we need to do to get that amazing environment, to get that amazing high level of productivity? We focus on people's rate of evolution. Mm. Well, yeah, and that's what I was talking about a minute ago in your in your evolutionary leadership definition about evolving oneself and developing self capabilities. But yeah, you, it is about also about helping your organization develop those capabilities. Um, but again, we're back to the the primary tenet of that is modeling. That you can only help others yeah. to the extent that you help yourself. I, you know, I want to come back to that because it's not just modeling, and I think that. Um, even we see that with with uh, some of the participants in our programs is that they think, oh, I don't have to do anything. There's no action to be taken. There's no tactics to 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 be had. Mm. When we're talking about modeling, I think it's it's a. I just have to be a, good. <laughs> that yes, and there is still action to be taken. Mm. Like we have a whole entire playbook and right smack in the middle of the playbook is tactics and strategies. You still want to be, you're, you're working on your own evolution of how you're showing up as a leader. You're listening, you're compassionate, you have patience, you're, you're creating psychological safety, you're developing relationships with people and you're really uplifting the system, but you're also taking action. You're still moving forward in, in the tactics and strategies of the day-to-day operations within your system. So I, I don't, that's why I'm saying I don't want to get lost in the whole personal evolution and development part of it, because while that's important, that's like the, the gas that's going to drive everything. It's a great point. You also need the practical application of how are you going to make decisions? How are your teams functioning together? You know, how, if you have multiple teams, are they working together? Um, you know, what are you doing in, in these different um, culture systems that you have within your organization? are, you know, developing heat maps to try to figure out who's ready for this kind of evolution or a new way of working and who's not ready yet. And is it okay for them to be, you know, just doing what they're doing and not going along with any kind of evolution or, you know, I'll still use the word transformation in the organization because, because they're not ready. And is it, you know, do we allow them to, to be okay with that? Or are we going to force them to start um, working in a, in a different way or, um, you know, developing them ahead of what they're ready for, what they're capable for. Forgive me for being the nerd that keeps bringing up other people's work, but um, Marty Linsky is a professor at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, I think, and and he's uh, been to some of his workshops and read some of his work on adaptive leadership with Ron Heifetz. And um, Marty Linsky defined leadership as uh, disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> and, you know, we, we kind of chuckled at the definition when he gave it to us. And he goes, I mean, think about it. It's, 
you know, first of all, what I, what I learned, I think from Marty is that leadership and change leadership are synonymous. Change leadership is redundant because if you're leading, it means you're moving. And if you're moving, it means you're not staying where you are. And if you're not staying where you are, it means something's changing. So the idea that change disappoints people and people can, you can argue with the word with that. If, is that the best choice of words? But you know, I was comfortable here. I, I know this, I, I knew this place and you're, you're moving me or you're pulling me or pushing me and whatever, whatever to some other place. Uh, and, and you, again, you can argue the word disappoint, but the idea that you can't exceed the absorption rate of your people, like you can't, that's uh, maybe that's what a lot of aspiring transformational leaders do is we're going to change our organization, everything from, all right, we're rebranding, we're downsizing, we're going all, you know, we're doing this big thing, this big change initiative, and it often just exceeds people's rate of absorption. Um, does that, that resonate that you think that aligns yeah, with what yeah, you're talking about? Exactly. But I, I'd say it's more about owning the choices. Yeah. Like if I'm causing damage, if I'm causing frustration, mm. if I'm causing anything, owning that choice mm. and admitting it publicly. <laughs> yeah. That's Are you huge. ready to do that? And talking about that transformation leader described, who wants to create all that change. Mm. My question is, well, what percentage is your effort focused outward versus inward? Mm. It's like, what do you mean? Like I'm hundred percent focused outwards. What are you talking about? Yeah. Mm. But, but this is the deal. The limit is actually what's going inward, mm. right? What would happen? This is the question for everyone. What would happen if all that energy for changing all the people around you, changing organizational system, making everything better in your organization was focused inwards to where it's going to actually allow you to create that out. Mm. Uh, can I go deeper on yeah, that one? Go deeper. Nope what is the, what is the driving force behind, um, that change? So, so all the pressure that's externalized into creating a successful transformation, because now you're in a leadership role where this is your job to transform an organization. If you just go inward and clear out all the anxiety, all the fear, all the survival stuff that's activating within your inner being, that's creating this, um, it's almost kind of like this, this system instability. Yeah. Mm. Once, once you clear that you could still have the same objective. You could still be the leader that's going to transform this organization, but your, your whole entire inner being is in this stable place where there's no push out into the system. Cause we know that push creates resistance. So what we're, what we do is we take everybody from externalizing to internalizing and, and start with this uh, place that you're very clear and very stable as a leader and you're showing up very differently. It's going to, we're going to go back to perspective and reality and outcome. It's mm. going to change everything. Mm. And that's when we talk about metaphysics, metaphysics really is about, uh, about shifting your perspective you're shifting your inner, your inner being that creates a different reality, creates a, a much smoother, successful reality. It's like the reality that you really, truly want. That I, I'm not going to let that one just go. I'm going to pause on that one because that was a very powerful, the phrase, the idea that we can literally create a new reality is a big thought. And I, I don't, I don't know that 
I don't think most people actually think in those terms. They just think, oh, this is reality. Yeah, it's the reality you're creating. <laughs> you know, it's like you can create a new one. I love that because concept. Because of that in Jedi I, school. Athletes yeah. do it. <laughs> athletes do it every day. That's uh, so true. Right? They, you know, runners or, you know, any any type of athlete, even, you know, football players and uh, gymnast, gymnasts, um, you know, people that are really like on a, on a physical level, mountain climbers, anything that you do, bikers, you know, when you're, when you're biking and you can't, your, your body just can't do it anymore. What's it's not your body. That's going to push through it. It's actually your mind mm. that starts to shift and, and to say, I can do this. Wow. So, I mean, that's just a, that's just like kind of like a, mainstream way of, of thinking about it. I'll share something with you and get your take on it on something that's been on my mind lately. Just a I would call it an epiphany, like one of those moments where I have my eyes open on something and, and yet I'm embarrassed to say it because it's like, ah, really this, this, I bet everybody knew this, but me, but it was around the word accountability. And the reason I'm bringing this up is you've talked about choices and you've talked about capabilities and, um, it dawned on me and I was, I was, uh, again, this was in reading some other work and, and they were talking about accountability as a choice that we choose to be accountable, mm-hmm. not that we're told to be accountable. And that was shift number one for me is like, oh yeah, you know, we hold people accountable, right? Yeah, like there's this punitive kind of, um, you know consequence or, or requirements, uh, obligation. We're going to hold you accountable. You're accountable for this, but accountability is a choice. Meaning I'm going to choose to be accountable for my commitments, my role, my expect things people are expecting of me and things I'm expecting of myself. And then it really hit me because as I was thinking about that, I was going accountability, accountability, account ability. It's a compound word. It's a word that means the ability to account. When that hit me, like accountability is not this obligation you put on somebody. It's an ability, the ability to account for my commitments, my, how I show up, everything, everything we think about accountability is about how do I develop the ability, my ability to account for myself And then how do I help my people develop the ability to account for their role in a way that says, wow, I'm learning how to account, not, oh man, he's really holding me accountable. That just was a huge shift for me when I thought about the words and just looked at the words themselves. It's a, it's a mind shift. Yeah. You just had an evolutionary shift in your consciousness. (laughs) Okay, That's brilliant. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is because what happens is you go from understanding that accountability is something that we do to others. Yeah. To a a shift towards a high performance way of functions for human beings. Which creates automatic resistance. Which creates automatic frustration frustration, with the other person and sabotage. So then, so then to what's really important, which is self accountability. Accountability is useful when it was how do I hold myself to account? How am I showing up in this community, in this family, as a leader of these people? And how do I learn to account? You have to I learn. I feel, you have to learn to account. I, I feel like you have a new book coming. <laughs> I don't know about that. 
Oh, I do. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, seed, I love it. Seed yeah. planted. I love it. Seed planted. Um, can we cover uh, a little bit about culture here before we have to wrap this episode up? Boy, I could go on and on. Um, but I mentioned that my favorite chapter in the book was on culture, and it may have been because I jumped there first because I'm working with some organizations right now on culture. And I thought, I want to, I want to dig into this right now. And wow, um, the chapter is great, but there is one page. In fact, there's one graphic and visual that really, uh, not only was, was a, a great framework for me. Um, but I, um, I chose to show it to a, a, a client of mine recently. And here's what we, uh, here's what we found. I'll tell you what we found. And then, and then I'm going to let you jump in and talk, talk all things culture. So the model for our listeners is like this, um, this, this oval or this circle that's picture up maybe a spider web, but there are spots all in everything's interconnected. And the, and the model is organizational culture. So that's the universe of the model is your organizational culture. And on the top, um, of the oval with, with kind of a line horizontally across the middle on the top, there is, um, all of the things about consciousness and on the bottom, it's all the things about structure in your organization. And that those two dimensions combine in this web to create your organizational culture. And I don't have it in front of me right now, so I hope I'm describing it right. But, um, what dawned on me when I was looking at it and, and the same with, with the organization that the team that we were working with this week is that when organizations write their values statements, we're going to be ethical. We're going to be transparent. We're going to be honest. We're going to be, you know, uh, you know, we're going to be innovative. We're going to be, it's all of the consciousness things. And some organizations are better at, you know, actually behaving in a way that their value statements say many aren't because they're just posters on a wall as I think it was the term that you use. Um, and, uh, when we were looking at this organization, they had a really a good set of values that they've developed with their board. Um, you know, things like the, the collaboration and the mutual accountability and these kinds of things that are very much around consciousness. And as they looked at the model and, and part of the reason we were engaging them is to talk about how they can sort of function better, create a better organizational culture. They realized that they weren't really paying attention to the bottom half, that everything was about consciousness and, you know, that rightly so, right. It, we're about equity. We're about, di you know, diversity. We're about inclusion. We're about honesty and collaboration, but we've got some work to do on our processes on our feedback loop, on our org structure, on our, you know, everything. And they realized how that is not just operational stuff, that's organizational culture. So that was a mind shift for them to see that. So I want to thank you for that model, if nothing else in the book. Um, but I'd, I'd love to hear from you sort of what your, you know, what the, what the five minute version of how you're approaching this idea of organizational culture and that, and what that chapter's all about. Give us a little bit more of a, a thought and a preview into that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, uh, I'm glad you had that great experience. Uh, I think when you get to the other chapters, you realize that they're just as good as this chapter. On culture. <laughs> okay. You haven't got there yet. I believe, oh, I've no, I've, I've read more well, of no, it. I just started there. chalk full. Of like the, you know, the 10% difference that unlocks everything that, you know, the illustrations really... are so cool, by the way, like uh, the, fa the, mm -hmm. the idea that you mix the text with the visuals, the models, 
um, was so great. I've seen a few, you know, books that do that sort of thing. You just do it so well. And there's plenty of them. There's so many people that are visually oriented and really can pick it up. I'm one of them. I love models and frameworks. People that are listening to this know that. So I really love that about the book. It's such a high quality product. Yeah, that thank was you. Mark, he's yeah. one of our advanced students yeah. in this work. So really? Um, yeah. we're, we were really lucky to um, have him illustrating because yeah. he really can capture the essence. Oh, and we did a lot of work. It oh, took yeah. a lot of work to make sure each picture actually captures the meaning. So it actually has a transmission. So. It's beautiful. Anyways, yeah, go you. to the. Let me go to culture. So let me talk about the traps first. Um, values programs are pretty much, in our opinion, a huge trap. Mm. People who think culture equals values program. Um, are missing the boat and sub-optimizing in a huge way. We can say a values program could be valuable if the leaders use it to model the behavior and only use it on themselves. To try to use values programs on anyone else, in our view, is irresponsible and um, not competent management. Now, pause there. Uh, Tell me what you mean by values program. I know what value statements are. So, so value statements. So as a leader to say, we as leaders created these value statements and we are going to live this way and please score us on how we show up this way. Cause this is how we want to show up as your leaders. That's really beautiful. Or in alternative leaders mm. who know, understand what co-creation is and co-create the values as equals with everyone else in the company. Though that everyone creates the values that they collectively want to have follow and people voluntarily choose to follow them uh, and hold themselves accountable to following them. That's a very different way of handling values. Mm-hmm. So most of how values programs are handled in organizations are very uh, immature and actually quite destructive in our, in our opinion. Um, so, yeah, except, you know, there's some people who are very advanced and use it in healthy ways and so on, but okay. I just want to put that caveat okay, out there. Thanks. Coming back, coming back to culture, you know, our view of culture, this diagram you're talking about, culture is the wibbly wobbly thing yeah. that connects everything. Every aspect of your organization from the systems to how people treat each other are deeply interconnected. In quantum physics, we know there's this Higgs boson particle that at the deepest level of reality, everything is deeply interconnected to everything else. So that's why when we want to approach changing culture, we need to have this sophisticated understanding that everything counts. Every single thing counts, all the structures, all the processes, what as leaders we support, what, whether we choose to have annual budgeting or we have more, you know, are people allowed to spend money without approvals? Who do they need approval for? Like what limit? Like it, all these things tell us what's the culture. Do we trust our people? Is there safety? Do we value people's human beings some of the time, all the time to what extent? Mm-hmm. And this collectively, this we can call this consciousness, the mindset, the worldview that, that really determines the limit for how the organization can function. We want to have this you know, harmony between the structures and the state of evolution of, of the people, the mindset, the consciousness, their evolution and how disentangled they've gotten out of this traditional command and control, oppressive traditional management worldview into more an evolved one, right? And every organization we see is somewhere on this journey. So it's a way to kind of look at these dimensions of culture to find out, well, what's happening here and how do we start reasoning about it? I think the other thing too is people jump too far over to the left where, where the leaders are going to decide that, oh, this organization, we're going to have total transparency. We're going to, right, where the whole entire organization culturally 
meaning their mindset, worldview, their behaviors are not ready for transparency like that. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and mis- there's miscommunications. There's also misunderstandings where, um, where being like taking, for example, uh, transparency in uh, salary, not everybody is going to be accepting of that. Not everybody is going to be able to have the, the consciousness, the evolved consciousness where they can take that in and be happy for other people's success. So that would create animosity within the culture of the system. So you don't want to jump so far out without your organization being ready. So remember, we're talking about developing the evolutionary capabilities of the system. When you're really listening to the system, you will know exactly how far you can stretch. Yeah. And how the, fast back to the rate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and so we, we want these utopian type of workplaces. We want to have a teal organization. We want an exponential organization. We want to have you know, blah, 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 fill in the blank, we beautiful organization. It's like, well, just, just let's just start where we are. Mm-hmm. Let's just honestly start where we are, where the people are and how do we build up their capabilities to start to progress towards that end point, that star on the horizon. You know, the, so there's so many things that you've said that just sound so simple, so obvious, but they're mm-hmm. really hard. I, I was, I was uh, with a group yesterday and we were talking about emotional intelligence and we were talking about the work of leadership is leadership. It's not, you know, like that is the actual work. There you go. Um, is that is that Audrey's book or your book? Emotional it's science. Our book. We wrote a book called yeah. Emotional Science because most people have been emotions. lied to about how their emotions work. Most yeah. of the conversation, in our opinion, about emotional intelligence mm. is missing the mark. Yeah, and okay. doesn't include self evolution. Right. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, yeah. You you can include it. So uh, to me, it's it's how you deliver the the framework of emotional intelligence. If it's just the framework itself, without one of the without what, the tools to evolve. Without, right? Yeah. Without the tools to evolve. Because what I tell people that the good news about emotional intelligence when they do the the assessments or whatever is you can improve it. You can actually grow your emotional intelligence. It's not, that's not some hard wiring that, oh, well, I'm just not very emotionally intelligent. I'm not in tune with myself. I'm not in tune with others. I haven't grown. I haven't. So the evolutionary pieces, I think, are the, 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 maybe the, the piece that's missing most often when it, when the emotional intelligence framework, but we were talking about, for example, you know, there's all these personality profiles and things. And, you know, you want to know not only who you are, but you want to understand who the people around you are so that you can show up for them in their best space, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And someone looked at me in the workshop and it was really cool. She looked at me and she goes, but that takes a lot of time. Like, what if you don't have that kind of time? I mean, what if you're in this organization where things are just flying so fast at you and you don't have time to stop and worry about someone's, you know, and, and so I paused and I said, well, you, you said the right thing. This takes time. (laughs) It's pure and simple. It takes time. This doesn't, this doesn't happen. You're not going to walk out of here tomorrow and be this like super emotional, intelligent person and have all this great empathy and this, you know, help people, you know, you're not gonna be transformed tomorrow, but it, it, but it does, this stuff does take time is my, is my point. Well, it's a process, we right? Have a tech- yeah. Well, so, so yes and no. Okay. Uh, this is so we we've studied consciousness in India. We've gone all over the mm-hmm. world to study the most advanced teachers we can find. People in very high states of consciousness. How do we get? And we've actually built 
was a very rapid, it's not in the book leading beyond change, but very rapid toolkit for evolution that we do in our training. Yeah, there is actually a technology to shift consciousness and it's a, it's actually very quick. Yeah. So you don't need to take a long time. It's actually very quick. You just have to choose. All right. I will email her back and tell her to listen to this podcast. (laughs) So wait, I I will give everybody here a hint, Mm. a really great starting place. All you need to do is look where you don't have empathy, where you don't have patience, where you can't listen, where you're not showing up as your best self. Just start noticing where you're lacking in those, those places Mm. that will begin because that's called awareness and awareness is the key to unlocking your consciousness into it's the first step in shifting your consciousness. And it's the hardest part because you really, when you start to be aware of the damage and the consequences that you're causing, the impact that you're having in all of your environment and all of your relationships, including the relationship that you have with yourself, that is the key that will unlock everything from that point on after awareness and that, that kind of inward looking and really taking into account of your impact, everything else will shift and change on its own. So that is the technology of consciousness. Mm. So it's not simple. It sounds simple and it's not simple because you have to see the damage and consequences of your, of your impact. Well, this is what I, this is what I'm thinking takes the time though. I mean, because it's for one, yes, in a moment I can, I get that like cognitively, I get what you just said. And, and maybe I can pause like right now and sort of like, Larry, let me create, let me, dig into my awareness here and see where am I doing this? Where am I not doing this for me? At least in, in, in my world, it, part of that is learning from the next experience too, though, like how I'm showing up, how I've showed up in the past. I almost, I almost have to see that again. I have to, I have to be aware that I'm in another opportunity where I go, Oh, this is one of those moments. This is, this is my chance, like to create that kind of awareness. so yeah, this why is would really you, but why ahead. would you want to sabotage your life like that? Why would you want to wait for the next experience? No, no, hold, hold on. Let, let mm. me do it. Say it differently. Yes. That's a very, very good technology. I'm tougher coach. Yeah. You're tougher. I'll, I'll be gentle. <laughs> that, be that is a I good approach because your, our brains are neural networks and you're using life as a simulation to rewire it. But Audrey's saying it's like, if we have it, when we have a damaging behavior pattern, we could, and this is the technology we have called the four A's leadership model. We can use simulation time and reflection time to accelerate that whole process. So we can run a simulation mm. in our head to create an accelerated shift in our behavior so that the, the behavior pattern shifts much more rapidly. It's just in a very nutshell. That's, all, the, the that's awesome. That, that's awesome. That's intriguing. I, I would definitely want to learn more about that. I imagine our, our folks would too. Um, man, this is so cool. Uh, I want to, I want to start winding this down and there's a couple of questions that I like to ask all of our guests and because I, I love the stories that come out of these. And the first one is I would love it if each of you could share with me, um, if you could name a leader in your life or career who you would say has had the most impact on you. And maybe even, you know, how, you know, someone who's, who's kind of helped you come to your own point, uh, in your leadership journey, 
Um, I just love these stories. You know, who, who is, who is one person that you kind of look back into and say, this was, this was someone who, who really helped create a, um, a shift or a pivot for me. And I'd love to hear from each of you who you, who you might think of first. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I don't think I've actually had a live person, um, mm. in terms of leadership, I, I think more conventional world, I can go into to deeper realms. Maybe mm. I'll give you the conventional one. Probably the closest I'd say is Ricardo Semler, how he's able the the head of Semco, this Brazilian organization, that's really, really incredible case study, how he's able to show up, be stable, calm, present, and curious like to, to show up in an evolved state of being. That's kind of a more, um, more conventional in, in, you know, kind of broader, uh, I, you know, I'd say there, there are people we've studied with in India that are in very, very high states of consciousness that, uh, from an really an internal leadership perspective are, are just off the charts, uh, of anything in, mm-hmm. that I've seen anywhere in the West. Um, so that's probably where what I, I go to is the kind of the deeper answer. Mm-hmm. Oh, for me, I would say my grandfather and that's, and, and it's the opposite is that he was so hard on us. And I, you know, looking back at it now, when I was a child, I didn't understand it. He wanted us to be so successful that he pushed for our success continuously. And, and it created a lot of damage in our relationship. It created um, within me a lack of self-confidence. And I didn't think I was good enough or worthy. And, um, but it also led me to this place of, I don't want to be in pain and suffering. I, I want to be successful. And I could see if all those places of damage to my own self, where I sabotaged my, my life, my, you know, all my successes. And then one day I just started realizing that I, I don't want to show up like this anymore for myself. And when I look back at it now, I'm like, oh my God, thank you, grandpa. Because if you weren't like that, if you weren't such a, I won't say the word, you know, um, I, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be thriving um, and not just surviving, but, you know, pursuing my own inner happiness and my inner stability. And, um, you know, and it's funny, too, because he's like, you got to go to the best school and you got to find the right teachers. And I was like, eh. you know, and and. In the end, I listened to everything that he said, and I actually did everything that he said, but I had to move through my own anger and frustration and resistance and lack of self-confidence and self-worth before I got there. So, you know, it could have been different. He could have led in a, in a totally different way, and, and maybe I would have been further along a lot sooner in my life instead of blossoming when I was older. So... Or, you know, maybe because of the way he showed up like this, I'm the person that I am today, like really passionate about my evolution and about the evolution of other people. So, wow. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, I, I hope that the two of you will go back to episodes on this show and listen to Sophie McLean's episode and get her book, The, Sim- the Elegance of Simplicity. And I'm going to reach out to her and recommend that she look at your work because one of the things that we talked about in the podcast, and I think she struggled with this a little bit at first, is she was talking very much about this self-awareness and the disentangling the ego and the, the stories we've believed and chosen to believe throughout our our lives and how to disentangle that. Um, I, you know, because of how I 
function and what my work is, I always want to relate it back to, okay, now what about organizational leadership? How does this play into organizational leadership? And she was so focused on the individual and the person that it took her a minute to kind of figure out what I was doing there. You, you all are answering that. I think for, for all of us is how those things, how that the human, the individual connects to the organizations we work in. I mean, this is our lives. We spend a lot of time in this and we're trying to do it fulfilling when we're in business, when we're in work and um, you know, it, it starts with ourselves. So anyway, I hope you'll do that. Um, my last question okay. for you. Um, what would each of you say is your number one leadership tenant? Like if you could advise all leaders in, in 20 seconds right now, if the whole world of leaders were listening right now and you had one thing to tell them, what would that be? What's the, what's the Michael Sahota version? What's the Audrey Sahota, you know, 20 second soundbite on the most powerful concept of leadership that you believe in? You are the limit. Invest in your own evolution, your own growth to unlock the people around you. They're not the problem. You're just seeing the reflection of your leadership. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is slow down and really take um, inventory of where are you in fear? Where do you have anxiety? Where do you have frustration and disappointment and anger? Like, where do you think it's impossible? Because when you clear that, which is really just a survival mechanism that we have in ourselves, when you really clear that, everything else will, will open up for you. All the success, all of the unlocking, the success around you will just begin to happen. Mm. Um, but we're, we're driven with this massive fear of not being successful. And that's a survival mechanism that we have deep within our being. Mm. And just working to clear that will really um, be the most beneficial. Yeah. Um, Peter block in his book community uses two terms, um, over and over fear and fault and how we approach everything with, you know, through the lens of fear and fault, but he doesn't sort of give the other side of the equation. And so the best I could come up with to stay with the F theme was what's the opposite of if we, if we, instead of approaching everything from a fear and fault, maybe it's faith and favor. I don't know if that's it. It's like like, that. it yeah, it's, it, that's good. I, I'd say it's more like psychological safety. Mm. He's, he was sticking with the F theme. Oh, the F. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I think it all, actually everything we're talking about this whole, it comes back to psychological safety. Yeah. When we have that, we can give it to others. And when that's there, everything else unlocks. Audrey and Michael, this is rich. Thank you for this gift. Um, it's, I, I imagine everyone's getting a lot out of it, but even if they don't, I sure am. And, uh, so thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the book. Thank you for your time. This, this generous gift of time and thought and what you've learned and, and helping us think about it differently and maybe move more quickly toward it. I I'm, I'm grateful for your, uh, your, um, your time and your talent on this show. Thank you. Same with us. It's uh, really an honor to be here and, and thank you for having us. I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, just your, your deep curiosity and, and desire to find, well, what can we do differently? Wow. Uh, okay, folks, um, here's my first piece of advice. Get a notepad 
and start this episode over and listen to it again. Pay closer attention. Um, Shift314.com. Shift314.com is the website. Leading Beyond Change is the book. It's on Amazon. You can also get to it from their website and uh, lead on. Thanks, folks. 